want to talk to you today about learning to lead you. Learning to lead you. At the end of the day, that's our biggest challenge. Just two weeks ago, I had a, a huge opportunity that showed up on, on our doorstep. Ash and I, we were invited to go and have dinner with John Maxwell. And uh, he's the guy who's written several books that have just touched the world, 21 Laws of Leadership. He writes a lot on leadership. And so I was thinking, he got the wrong address. We're the wrong people to be invited to this. He was only inviting 10 pastors. And I said, Ashley, are you sure we were invited to this? She said, yes, you were invited, and I was too. So I'm going with you. We are not missing this. So we show up to his house, and I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude to be there. And um, I go up to him. I said, Mr. Maxwell, my dad gave me books that you wrote when I was a little boy. And as a teenager, I read your books and shaped who I am. And I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm pinching myself. I can't believe I'm in your house. And, and he says, Paul, I loved your dad. I knew your dad. Your dad and I were friends. And he starts talking to me. And he says, Paul, there's greatness in you. And I'm looking around. I'm like, are you talking to the right Paul? And um, I said, Mr. Maxwell, I never would have included myself in this event. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, all these pastors, they're famous, they're popular. I, I'm not. I, I, I just don't feel like I would belong in this circle. And he said, well, Paul, you don't see what I see. I see one of the greatest pastors in America. I see one of the greatest churches in the world, Victory Church. I'm, I'm just crying, and I'm thinking, I said, I don't see that. I said, why did you invite me? Why did you invite us? What is it? Why, why did you bring us here? What is it that caused us to be invited to this? And he said, well, it's different for each one of you. But he said, when I see your tears, I think maybe that's the reason you're here. I think it's your gratitude. It's your spirit. It's, it's the brokenness. And I started thinking about just all of the things I learned from Mr. Maxwell. And I asked him this question. I said, what's your biggest challenge? Because you write on leadership. He's, he's, in fact, written a whole translation of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation called the Maxwell Leadership Bible. And it's full of just leadership nuggets about each character in the Bible, Esther and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jesus and, and what we can learn from their character, their life as a leader. And I said, what, what is your biggest challenge? He said, my biggest challenge is leading me. He said, that's my biggest challenge, Paul, is leading me. And a lot of people think, well, we don't need to lead ourselves. We need to let God lead us. He said, that's nonsense. God doesn't wake you up in the morning and brush your teeth. God has delegated the responsibility for you to get out of your own bed and go brush your stinky teeth. God has delegated the responsibility for you to stop hitting snooze, get out of your bed, and open your Bible and pray. When people say, I'm going to let God lead me, he said, I want to tell them, God allows you to lead yourself. And you either are leading yourself more towards Christ or you're leading yourself in a toxic direction. You're choosing jealousy instead of celebrating others. You're choosing the fear of man instead of the fear of God. You're choosing a path of intimidation instead of a path of courage. God gives all of us the choice of how we're going to lead our lives. And how you lead you is the most important person you lead in your life. Because how you lead you will determine how you lead others. And if you don't know how to lead yourself in a healthy way, you're going to lead others in an unhealthy way. And the truth is, all of us are leading someone. Leadership is stewardship. It's doing something with the gifts and the talents God has given you. It's stewarding your life well. And when we look in the Bible at characters in the Bible who ended up living incredible lives, it's because they led themselves well. When we look at leaders who self-destructed, it's because they didn't lead themselves well. In fact, the first king of Israel was King Saul. And if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Yeah, we get loud about the word of God. And in 1 Samuel 13, Saul had been leading Israel, and he was doing well. When Saul got chosen as the first king of Israel, he was, he was tall, he was handsome, he was a warrior. He was the right guy. It wasn't like God chose Saul going, I know this guy's going to make a lot of mistakes. I know he's going to be a bad leader. No, no, God chose Saul because Saul was set apart. You can start in the right direction, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And you could start off as a good leader, but if you get intoxicated with your success, if you get jealous, if you get envious, if you become insecure and you give in to those insecurities, you can lead yourself away from the purpose and the plan God has for you. And this is what happened to Saul. In, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, the prophet Samuel, anointed by God, came to Saul because Saul had started disobeying God. Saul had kind of given into his own insecurities, and Samuel said, Saul, your kingdom will not last. God was going to allow you to pass your legacy off to your son. You were going to be able to hand this business off to your family, but no longer will it happen. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and he has appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept God's commandment. 
It's so important that we learn to lead ourselves well. While we were sitting there with Mr. Maxwell, he, he began to just share with us his journey of leadership. And he said, I'm sharing this with you, hoping that you'll share some of these things with your churches. And so today, that's what I want to share with you. He said, there's really four things that have impacted my life as a leader. Four questions I ask myself. Four questions I ask every leader that I meet. That I truly believe these four questions, if they can answer yes to these questions, it will truly shape their life to make an eternal impact on the world. That all people have an opportunity to do this. But you need to know that these four things are things that anybody can possess, things that anyone can develop. You don't have to go to school to get one of these things. See, when we look at, at leaders, we think, well, man, they've got a lot of intelligence. They've got a doctorate degree in this. They're really tall. They're really strong. But when God was speaking to Samuel the prophet about the next king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God said, do not look at his appearance. Don't look at his height. Don't look at his education. Don't look at his, at his family background. Don't look at what man looks at. God says, I don't look at the things that man looks at. I look at the heart. The measuring stick for leadership is not how tall are you, how educated are you. It's how big is your heart. When God is measuring a leader, he doesn't take the tape and wrap it around the mind. He takes the tape and he wraps it around the heart. How big is her heart? How big is his heart? And what is your heart full of? Is it full of pride or is it full of humility? Is it full of love or is it full of hatred? Is it hidden hatred? What, what is your heart made of? God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at what man looks at. And if you can lead from the heart, if you can lead from these four areas that, that we're going to talk about today from the heart, you can become one of those great leaders that makes an impact on their generation the way that David did in the Bible. And so he began to share these things with us. But before I share them with you, I want, I want you to think about who you're leading right now. Because all of us are leading someone. Besides ourselves, all of us are leading someone. Yesterday we had a basketball game and, and I'm the assistant to the assistant to the assistant head coach of the Pee Wee league boys <laughs> kindergarten basketball team and and I was out on the court with Benny and with Liam I think we got some pictures and and I'm teaching them how to shoot hoops we're out there dribbling the ball I'm teaching them how to shoot the ball and talking to them about the fundamentals and they're listening to what I'm saying they're listening to what I'm saying and I'm amazed they're they're for the most part following what I'm asking them to do but even more than they follow what I say they follow what I do and I watch them as they mimic me. I was in the car after the game, and, or not after the game, but, but recently this last week I was in the car, and I started tapping my finger on the steering wheel. And next thing I know, I hear another tap in the back. I look in the rearview mirror, and Liam's just watching me, and he's tapping his finger. The same time I'm tapping my finger, I stop, and he stops, and then I start tapping again, he starts tapping again. And then I hear a third tap, it's Benny. Benny's watching Liam, he's tapping. So we got a whole band going on in my car, we're tapping. Tapping, I go, hey, Liam goes, hey, Benny goes, hey, 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 and there's like an echo in the car, all three of us, they're following me, your kids are following you, and it was awesome, and then my phone buzzed, and I started to pick up my phone as I'm driving down the road, and I realized they're following me, they're following me, they're watching me, they're following me, all of us are leading someone, the most important person you lead is you. It's you. How do you lead yourself well? For David in the Bible, he learned that he had to lead himself even through the valleys. That yes, God was his leader, but ultimately David had to be the one that made the decision to walk in forgiveness. David had to be the one that made the decision to repent when he was wrong in front of his pastor, Nathan. You and I, we have an opportunity every day to lead ourselves either into humility or into pride, either into a spirit of love or into a spirit of hurt and offense and unforgiveness. And so the first question that he said, he asks himself, that you and I, we should always ask ourselves on a regular basis is, number one, are you grounded? Are you grounded? And I already hear some high schoolers in the room going, yep, dad grounded me last night. I'm grounded for an entire school year. And I understand, but that's not the grounded I'm talking about. I was grounded my junior year. I did something bad. I was grounded the whole school year. But I'm talking about a different kind of grounded. Grounded in the terms of, are you standing on a firm foundation? Are you basing your life on a solid foundation? What is your why? Your W-H-Y. What is your why? When you lose your why, you lose your way. This last week, I was with my mom, and we went to the governor's breakfast in Oklahoma City. 
She said, Paul, you got to be up early. We're going to drive there. So it's 5.30 in the morning. We're driving to Oklahoma City. We're going to listen to a chaplain from the United States Capitol come and speak to a group of leaders and politicians, business people, some pastors in the room. So we get in the car. within the first... Now, the scientists say that I think women have to get out 30,000 words a day, right? Is it, is it 16,000, 30,000? So my mom got all her words out right in that first hour in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I got even a word in, but I'm sitting in there. It's 530 in the morning. Within the first 10 minutes, she's on the topic of Satanism. I go, Mom, let's just slow it down. Let's ease into our topics here. And she's like, you know, let's talk about demon demonic activity. And I'm, I'm you know, so we're, we're in the car. We get to the breakfast. We come in. We're seated at the table and next to a few pastors. And this chaplain gets up. And, man, he just starts speaking. And he's in his late 70s. And... He talked about how he's been a chaplain there for several decades, how he's been serving there, congressmen, senators. And I, I leaned over to my mom. I said, Mom, this is an incredible leader. Like, he's not just a good speaker. He's an incredible leader. She said, your dad and I met him 20 years ago. We met him when we were in D.C. And she said, I just knew this was a man of integrity. This was a man who was grounded. There's people who can speak well, and there's people who live well. She said, I just knew this was a grounded leader. The word grounded means that, they're, that, that they're, they, they have a solid foundation. They're making decisions from a solid foundation. What kind of foundation are you standing on? As a church, we're building our new building over here for the Bible college, the youth, and the kids. And it's exciting watching the steel that's now up, the roof that's on, the windows are being placed in there. Pretty soon, you'll see the stucco on the outside of the building. Then we'll begin to paint the inside. It's beautiful, right? But for five and a half months, there was activity that nobody saw because it was beneath the surface. It was beneath the soil. And for five and a half months last year, we were preparing the foundation. We were doing soil tests. We were removing concrete out of the old parking lot there. We were removing some clay that had built up there. We were preparing the soil. Before we even laid the, the new level of concrete, we had to get everything set and in order, and it took a lot of time. So much time so that I was getting impatient. And I went to some of our team members, and I went to Bruce Edwards, who's been a part of these building projects with our church over the years. I said, Pastor Bruce, why is it taking so long? And he said, Paul, this is the most important part of the process, the foundation. Because a good foundation leads to a great future building. Leads to a great, without a good foundation, it's not sturdy. It's not steady. You can only grow to the size of your foundation. And so we took time to lay that foundation. So many people want to take off like a rocket. Just shoot up. I want to go far and I want to go fast and I want to build it right now. Immediate success. And just like the rocket shoots up, it comes crashing back down. How the mighty fall. Because they are not grounded in the right foundation. Mr. Maxwell was telling us how when he started his church in California... He started it with this real competitive spirit. He said, I was the most competitive guy you knew. He said, I had to beat everybody. Whoever I met, I had to beat them. I had to be better than them. And I had, to, I had to be the best church. I had to be better than every other church. And he said, I was so competitive. My competitiveness, he said, I thought it was a blessing, but really it was damaging my soul. And I wasn't leading myself well. And because I wasn't leading myself well, I wasn't leading our church well. And he said, I was so like focused on getting numbers, 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 more people into our church. And, and he said, I, I had been inviting this one neighbor to come and come. And so the neighbor came, and I was so excited they came. And, and because I didn't want anyone to be, feel uncomfortable, I didn't do a salvation call. I just wanted people to come back the next week. So they came back, and then I got a phone call from that neighbor's wife saying, John, he's in the hospital. And I rushed to the hospital, and he said, when I got up there, my neighbor had died. And he said, I was standing there in the hospital broken. And the wife came up to me and said, John, you were such a good pastor, such a good friend. You were there for him. And he said, I had this aching feeling inside. I never led him to Christ. I knew he wasn't saved. And he said, I was in tears. I went home and he said, I just began to repent. Because I had been leading my church the wrong way. And he said, the next Sunday, I got up in front of the church, and he said, I am sorry. I have not been leading our church the right way, and I repent. I have been leading our church out of competitiveness 
to be better than others rather than out of a, a passion for souls. Lord, I just pray right now, God, I just ask for your grace. Lord, I pray that I would be the kind of pastor you've called me to be, that, Lord, we would live and lead from a foundation, God, that truly matters in eternity. I pray, God, that you would just remove anything that's not of you from me. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be grounded in humility, that we would be grounded, God, in the right why, the right foundation. All that matters, God, is, is you, bringing glory to you. In Jesus' name. He said, after I, I finished the service, people were walking out, and he said, one of the, the elders came up to me and shook my hand and said, John, thank you. But we knew. He said, what do you mean? He said, we knew this whole time. He said, what do you mean? He said, anointed people always know. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, no, no, we love you. We're just glad that now you know. Let's go reach our city for Jesus. What are we grounded in? Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine is like the builder. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When the storms came, when the rain began to fall, and by the way, Jesus said the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to walk through storms. You're a target for the enemy. But those who build their lives on the rock, they can, a smooth sea never made a skillful sailor. It's the adversity of life that really defines where your foundation is at. You don't know what you're made of until you go through a storm. And he said, those who put my words into practice are like the man who's built his house on the rock. When the rain came down, when the streams rose, when the storms beat against that house, it did not fall because it was built on the rock. Can I tell you, this is a church that has been built on the rock. We would not be here today. We would not have outlasted the storm of 2009, 2011, 2013, 2015. We wouldn't be here today if we were built on a personality, if we were built on a pastor's name, if we were built on a man's idea. We are built on the solid rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. We are going in anywhere, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is where we stand. But then Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, great was its crash. I thought it was going to hold up. I thought it was going to be strong. I was building my retirement fund, my, my 401k. Everything was built on this. In 2008, we saw this happen in our, our nation when the housing market crashed. People's lives just crumbling down, building their life, building sandcastles, building for temporary gain, building on finances. My 401k, my retirement plan, everything was wrapped up, and I thought it was going to hold up. And God invites us to come back to the rock, come back to the firm foundation. I remember um, hearing this story about this builder who built houses for so many people. And, and the only problem was he had never really built a great house for himself. He was constantly busy building everyone else's houses. He hadn't built one for himself. This wealthy guy comes to him and says, I need you to build my house. He said, but you already own like 10 houses. You have houses here and in Italy and houses in Colorado and California. You don't need another house. He said, no, no, no. This one's going to be my best house. I want it to be extravagant. Spare no expense. You have an open budget. Whatever you need to spend, I want this to be an amazing house. And I want you to finish it. And I'll be traveling for the next several months. But when I come back, I expect the house to be finished. So the builder had other projects to do. And he was kind of... He was honestly kind of jealous of this rich man and frustrated. This guy doesn't deserve another house. So he just built the house as fast as he could with the cheapest materials he could find. He cut corners. He finished the house. The wealthy man came back, and from a distance, the house looked pretty good. The wealthy man said, show me the house. So the guy says, it's right over there. You see it? He said, yeah, it looks amazing. Here's the money for the house. The builder hands him the keys. The man hands the keys back. He says, this is your house. The builder said, wait, what? He said, yeah, I wanted to bless you. 
I was doing this all for you. The house you built is the house you get to live in. The house you're building is the house you're going to live in. You cut corners. You live without integrity. You gossip about everyone else. You do things wrong. You don't keep your promises. You're building the house you're going to live in. The kids are following. Hey, they're following your lead. They're following. How are you leading yourself? What do you do when no one's watching? Are you grounded in integrity? Are you grounded in character? When Enron happened, it was a huge scandal. How many of you remember the Enron scandal? Thousands of people, millions of people cheated out of money. And it was a massive greed situation in, in corporate America. Uh, people, people were cheated all, all because of greed. Greed was the monster in the story. And John Maxwell was invited to go speak to a, a large gathering of business people, thousands of business people. And they said, we want you to come because Enron had just happened. The scandal had just happened. And they said, we want you to speak on business ethics. He said, there's only one problem, guys. There's no such thing as business ethics. There's just ethics. You either have them or you don't have them. Since when did we start categorizing ethics? Well, you got ministry ethics, business ethics, education ethics, dentist ethics. No, no, no. You just have ethics. It's called honesty. It's called integrity. It's called being a promise keeper. It's called faithfulness. It's called character. You either have it or you don't have it. And the good news is if you don't have it, you can get it today. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But today, it's time to come back to the solid, firm foundation. One of the greatest ethics is the golden rule. Jesus said in Matthew 7, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Treat people right. Treat people with kindness. Be grounded in humility. Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, you can do nothing apart from Christ. So my question is, what, what are we trying to do apart from Christ? How are we trying to build our lives outside of Christ? What kind of foundation are you building? I wrote a list of people who build on the sand. And uh, I just titled it Sandcastle Kings. Uh, because this is, this is the people who build on the sand. They build for immediate satisfaction. They build for happiness. I want to be happy right now. They're building for earthly pleasure. They're building with cheap materials. Doesn't matter, just cut the corners. They're building for speed, not for longevity. They're building with the mindset of, it doesn't matter if it hurts others as long as it helps me. They're more focused on the outside looks than the internal quality. But there is another group of builders in the house, and that is the Christ-like kings and queens. And the Christ-like kings and queens are building for eternal impact. What we do today will echo in eternity. We're not building for happiness. We're building with joy. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're building for heaven's rewards. Every time we give in the offering, every time we serve people, every time we go on Walk It Out outreach and we serve other people. By the way, we had 280-plus people go to the Walk It out outreach yesterday, serving north, south, east, and west Tulsa, ministering to people, giving out diapers, creating care packages for our firemen in our city, going out and creating care packages for military in Kuwait. We're serving a group of soldiers in Kuwait that we're sending cards to and, 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 and care packages to. And yesterday, people were so blessed. What you do is a reward in heaven more than it is here on earth. And so Christ-like kings, they're building, knowing that I have rewards in heaven. We're building with costly sacrifices. We're building for the long game. We're building to serve future generations. We're building with character and integrity. Are you grounded? We began to ask Mr. Maxwell, what does it look like to be a grounded leader? He said, when you're wrong, you repent. That's what grounded is. When you're wrong, you repent, no matter what kind of title you have. He said, I was asked to go speak to a conference where there was thousands of teenagers, and I was given the last session. And it was a group of half, you know, half of the group was Christians, half the group were non-Christians. And he said, I got to speak on discovering the purpose and the potential God has for your life. And they asked me at the end of my message if I would do an altar call to bring these teenagers to a place of getting saved. And he said, I've created a killer message. Man, I worked so hard. I spent 15 hours writing this sermon. I had all these awesome points. I couldn't wait to just smack them in the face with these awesome points and this message. And he said, I, I was walking up towards the stage, and the Holy Spirit tucked my heart. John, don't preach. Just go right into the altar call. People are primed to respond to Jesus. Lord, I just pray that we would be sensitive to hear your voice. God, I pray, Lord, I would be sensitive even right now. Holy Spirit, God, this is not about me. This is about you. Whatever you want to do, God, you take over. 
In Jesus' name. He said, I heard the voice, but I dismissed it and said, God, I've got a great sermon. They need to hear this. God said, no, John, I can do this without you. I love you, but I can do this without you. John said, no, 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 God, you need me. I'm your superstar. I got a sermon for these people. So he said, I pushed through and I disobeyed the Holy Spirit. He said, man, I started preaching that message point after point. I got towards the very end of the message and the Holy Spirit said, are you done, John? Have you finished? Can I finally start doing what I wanted to do from the very beginning? John said, I was so convicted. I just wept on the stage and said, I'm so sorry. He said, I still have people today who come to me from that event 30 years ago in Urbana who say, I was there when you repented on stage and you told us that you never should have preached the message. He said, I finally got to the altar call and people got saved. But he said, after that event, the Lord spoke to me and said, John, I love you, but I don't need you. This is not the John Maxwell show. This is not the Paul Darty show. This is the Jesus thing. And if you will realize you are nothing apart from Christ, if you will be grounded in that understanding, then I can take you far. But if you become intoxicated with your own success and you lose the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss out on the leadership calling I have on your life. Number one, are you grounded? Number two, are you growing? Are you growing? Paul the Apostle, when he was in his prime, he could have retired. He could have said, no, I've built a lot of churches. I've written a lot of books. I've raised up a lot of leaders. But he said in Philippians chapter 3, not that I have obtained all of this or that I've already arrived. Everybody say arrived. So many people, they, they live with this arrival mindset. Paul said, not that I've arrived, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm going to keep on growing. He said, my brothers and sisters, in the next verse, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I'm forgetting that which is behind me and I'm pressing forward towards what is ahead. You have more that God wants to do in and through your life. When you stop growing, you stop living. When you stop growing, you start dying. I love how I was talking to Grand Grand. She's still growing. She's still learning. She's still leaning in. She's still taking notes. As 96 years old, she's not going to stop growing. And I just wonder if some of us in this room have stopped growing. If we've just kind of said, well, I've kind of learned enough. I think I got it together. And the key to growing is, is instead of focusing on goals, focus on growth. Instead of focusing on points, focus on growth. Progress is greater than perfection. Progress is greater than just hitting a couple of goals. That every week, I have people come to me every week and they're like, you keep getting better and better, Pastor. I don't know if that's a compliment or if that's like an underhanded diss. <laughs> I'm like, was it pretty bad last week? And they're like, it's better this week, praise the Lord. Man, I'm just glad y'all came back again. Thank you for coming back. And, uh, but, but I'm committed as your pastor to keep growing to keep growing. Ah, Lord, help me to keep growing. Help us to keep growing. Mr. Maxwell said, I was living with this mindset of I'm going to retire at a certain age. And I was asking myself this question, how much longer do I have to go? How much longer do I have to go? And he said, I was so focused on that question. And then I came across a book called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And in the, in the book, it talked about that all of us need to erase the finish line. It's time to erase the finish line. He said, I had been living with this finish line that once I turned a certain age, once I hit a certain level of, of books that I had sold, that I, that was my finish line, and I could just enjoy the rewards after that, not have to work, not have to raise up more leaders, not have to coach more people, that I could just, that was my finish line. He said, when I read that book, I decided to erase the finish line. When you erase the finish line, the, the question changes. It always changes when you erase the finish line. He said, I stopped asking, how much longer do I have to go? And I started asking, how far can I go? How many more leaders can I train up? How many more cities can I transform? How many more nations can I impact? How many more books can I write? How many more churches can I help plant? How, many, how much more impact can I live with? It's time to erase the finish line. There was a pastor in the room that I was with that day, and it was so intimate. People were leaning in. This one pastor began to share. He said, last year was the hardest year of my life. I wanted to quit. He said, I met with my board, and, and I told him I'm done. I'm ready to hang up my hat. Had some painful experiences in my family, and I just was embarrassed by it. And 
And at the same time, our church was growing. It was doing well. People were coming. People were getting saved. But I was just tired. I was exhausted. I was ready to be done. And he said, I had set everything up so that January 1st, 2020, I would no longer be the pastor. Someone else would take it. And I was happy with that. Even though I, I probably knew in my heart, I've got plenty more years to keep going, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to. And he said, when I heard John Maxwell talking about erasing the finish line, he said, something leapt, leaped on the inside of me, saying, no, 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 you can't quit. When you can afford to quit, you can't afford to quit because we need you. They need you. During that same talk, John shared how he mentors Tyler Perry. And he said, Tyler uh, built his first studio and, and outgrew it within a year and had to build a second studio. He outgrew the second studio and, and had to build a third studio. And on the third studio, he called John. He said, I'm done building. He said, I've, I've built all there is, and there's just no more growth for me. I'm just, you know, I make more money than any of the other actors in Hollywood. I'm, I'm producing more movies than anyone else I know. And I think I'm just kind of going to sit back and relax and enjoy, you know, the benefits of what I've done. And John said, Tyler, you can't afford to quit. When you have it made and you don't need another dollar, that's when your true motives begin to show. He said, are you going to keep on growing or are you just going to stop here? And he said it lit a fire inside of Tyler to where he decided he was going to build something bigger than he had ever built before to help future generations. And John said there's more Tylers out there that need to know that someone believes in them, that there's a future, that they can do more. So he just opened up last year the Dream Building where it's a massive, incredible campus where they're bringing in actors and actresses and giving people opportunities. Why? Because he decided I'm erasing the finish line. I'm going to grow. I'm going to keep growing. And when you grow, you grow for future generations. By the way, growth is not automatic. It requires intentional effort. No one has a growth plan for you. This is something I realized when I stepped in as pastor. No one had a growth plan for me. I have to, I have to be intentional to grow. I have to be intentional to read my Bible, to get books. When Maxwell said he, he had this desire to be a writer and to impact the business community, he said no one was, was mentoring me. No one was reaching out to me. And I realized I had to be intentional about my growth. So he said, I went to a bookstore. And I asked him, what do you have on teaching businessmen how to prosper and how to help other business people be able to prosper and do great things for God? I want to help Christian business people. And they said, we've got a briefcase over here, but it's $200. And it was a briefcase with cassette tapes by a guy down in Waco, Texas, who had pursued growth in his life, and he wanted to help other business people grow. And Maxwell saved up his money over the next two months. Him and his wife, they invested in their growth. They understood this was a sacrifice, but it would pay off in the long run. He said, man, when we bought that, I was so excited. I treasured that briefcase of cassette tapes. How many of you, that was your story? You bought some cassette tapes that helped lead to your growth of where you are today. He said, you know, he said, we don't have those anymore today. <laughs> but he said, um, just a few years ago, I was in Waco, Texas, and I was on a TV show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. He said, I really, I love them, but I wasn't there for them. He said, I was there to meet the family of the man who impacted me. He said, the man had died, and I never got to thank him. But I went and knocked on his door, and his, his daughter opened the door, and she said, you're John Maxwell. He said, yes, but no one would know who I am if it wasn't for your dad's commitment to grow. He said, I bought your dad's briefcase of cassette tapes in the 70s, and that's what was the catalyst to help me learn how to write. It took me eight years to write my first mini book. But your dad's faithful. And she starts crying. She said, I didn't know we made an impact. He said, you saved millions of people's lives because your dad was committed to grow. When you get committed to grow, you don't even know the impact on the other side of your obedience to say, I refuse to settle here. I refuse to say I'm stuck. I shared this last week, but I, I just think about how I took my kids on a hike. And one of my sons on the hike, he said, Daddy, I'm stuck. And you're leaving me. I said, you're not stuck. And I haven't left you. He said, yes, I'm stuck and you're leaving me. It reminded me of when my dad passed away in 2009. Because that was what I said here in this room. I walked into this room after thousands of people had left our church. And I said, I'm stuck. And you left me, dad. I'm stuck here. And you left me. I'm stuck in this depression. I'm stuck in this anxiety. I'm stuck and I don't know what to do. And you left me. And I remember God just speaking to me in this room, revealing to me that I had a master key and I didn't even know I had it. And I remember God saying, you're not stuck and your father didn't leave you. 
I'm cheering you on from heaven. I have a father in heaven and I have a daddy in heaven. And they are cheered. You are not left alone. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And you are not stuck. You can grow through this. You can get past this. You are not stuck in addictions. You are not stuck in dysfunctions. You are not stuck in toxicity. You can grow. You can get healthy again. You can get back in your Bible again. You can get back in the gym again. You can get back in church again. You are never stuck in a season. I said, Benny, you're not stuck. He said, well, why don't you rescue me? I said, if I rescue you, I can't help you. I wonder if one of the reasons why we have a generation that's having a hard time leading themselves is that maybe we rescued them instead of trying to teach them how to become a leader of themselves. So I said, Benny, you can do this. No, I can't, Daddy. I said, Benny, turn to the left. I don't know which way is left. I said, okay, turn that way. Jump to that rock. He jumps. Daddy, that was scary. Just come rescue me. I said, Benny, if I rescue you, I can't help you. He said, what do I do next? I said, jump to this rock. He jumps to that rock. Looks up. Daddy, I'm not stuck. Runs, gives me a hug. Daddy, I'm not stuck. I said, you were never stuck. You just stopped. You stopped. You're not stuck. You just stopped. And the good news is you can start again today. Number one, are you grounded? Number two, are you growing? Number three, are you grateful? Are you grateful? Grateful leadership is attractive leadership. Leadership is lonely and it is heavy, but it does not have to be. The joy of the Lord is your strength and joy flows from a grateful spirit. I've realized the more grateful I am, the more joy that I have. You heard my grandma sharing how the more that she gives thanks to God, the more that she feels happy in her life. Grateful people are joyful people. You want to add some days to your life? Just give thanks to God. Just start being a grateful person. Show up to church with a grateful spirit. Show up to your job with a grateful spirit. I'll never forget pulling up to Taco Bueno at midnight to go get a bean burrito and a muchacho. And I get to the drive-thru, and the girl, she's there, and she goes, Hey, we're so glad you're here. And I said, You know me? She's like, No, I don't. I was like, Oh, okay. She was like, Here's your burrito and your muchacho. Thanks for coming to Taco Bueno. It's a joy to serve you. I said, is everybody like you? She said, no. I said, it's midnight. She said, I know. My shift is almost done. I said, have you been this joyful the whole time? She said, I sure have. I thought, man, that's the secret right there. That's the secret sauce is gratitude. It's just being grateful. Are you grateful? When I was in that room with those pastors, I started weeping. I did. I was sitting in the room, and he was passing out cards, and he was passing out Bibles. And I said, oh, Jesus. I said, you remind me of my dad. And I just feel so blessed to be in the room. I feel so honored that we're here. And he said, Paul, I want to pray for you. And he just began to pray for me and pray for Ashley and pray for the others. And, and I'm weeping there. I'm just, I'm weeping. I can't stop it. It was uncontrollable. And the other pastors were leaning over to Ashley. They said, is he okay? Is he all right? Is everything okay there? She said, yeah. She leans over. She goes, you're all right, Paul, right? And I said, yeah. I said, I think, you know, we've been through, we've just had kid after kid after kid. We had kid, 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 kid. I said, the last five years, I haven't looked up. We've just been changing diapers and just, I said, I feel like we're finally just getting to look up for a second and that there's someone who wants to invest in us. There's someone who wants to help us. And, uh, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful. If you only knew how grateful I am for you, church, and it means so much that you come here. It means so much. No, you guys don't need to do that. No. No. No, man. I'm clapping for you guys. Y'all sit down. I love you. I love you. I love you, man. I honestly, I want to give everyone a bear hug. <laughs> I do. I, I want to give you all a bear hug because it means so much. It means so much. I wish I could just line everybody up and give you a big bear hug. 
because it really is an honor that you're here, all of you. And uh, man, I never want to lose. I never want to lose the wonder. I never want to lose the gratitude. Because I think, man, I love you too. I love you too. I love you too. I think about the woman in Luke 7 who came into the, the room when Jesus was having dinner with a group of people. And she knew she didn't belong. You know, just like I felt in that room. I said, man, I would have paid to be a fly on the wall. No, you, you need a seat at the table. And this woman comes in Luke chapter 7, and she just starts weeping, and, and she can't stop it. And she starts wiping Jesus' feet with perfume. It's like her best, best offering. And the other people are like, this is embarrassing. She needs to stop. This is awkward. What is she doing? And, and why the waste of the perfume? And, and, and Judas is upset. And, um, and Jesus says, this woman will be remembered her gratitude will be remembered. Her worship will be remembered. Gratitude keeps you grounded. I think gratitude, just keeping the mindset. David even said in 2 Samuel 7, he said, who am I, God? Who am I? Who am I? He said this, look at this in verse 18. Who am I, oh God, that you look at my family? David knew he was a sinner. David knew he didn't deserve anything. Who am I, God, that you brought me this far? Who am I that you've been this faithful? I don't deserve any of this. Everything I am is either from, from God's gifts or God's calling. It's all from God. It's in him we live and move and have our being. None of this is dirty. None of this is, none of this is us. It's all God. It's all God. And, and Maxwell said there was a moment where he got famous and his books started selling a lot. And he was sitting at the table signing books for people. And um, they were all saying, oh, you're so great. You're so brilliant. You're amazing. You're the best leader ever. And they're saying all this stuff. And this older man comes up to him and he says, you know all these people are wrong, right? And he says, what do you mean? He said, they're complimenting your gifts, not you. John, your gifts are bigger than you. And you need to realize that. Your gifts are bigger than your character. And John said, you're right. When you think that your gifts are who you are, you get intoxicated with your own success. Success separates you, but it doesn't have to. People might put you on a pedestal, but you can come down from the pedestal and say, I'm nothing without Jesus. I'm nothing without Christ. Stay in a place of gratitude. Stay in it. And, and, and here's something that I'm, I'm realizing more and more. You can't believe everything about what people say about you. Because people will say nice things and people say some really cruel things. And I've been on both sides. And uh, if you've been on both sides, you know, you just gotta, you gotta stay grounded in who you are in Christ and grateful that he's brought you this far. Here's the fourth question. Are you generous? Are you generous? Matthew 10 verse eight says, freely you've received, now freely give. Jesus doesn't suggest the idea of generosity. He commands it. But he commands it for your own good. You go, why, why would he command it? It's because he knows that a generous life leads to a much more abundant life. A stingy life. Proverbs put it like this in, in chapter 11, verse 24. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I remember, and I want the keys to come out. I remember when uh, my brother and I just got home from school and my dad, he said, hey, boys, let's go and bless some people. We used to do this periodically where he would just say, hop in my Tahoe, let's go give groceries to somebody. Let's go give diapers to someone in need. Let's go help some people. Let's go uh, give people some money. Let's go help some people. And so he said, let's go bless our neighbor. He said, all right, what are we going to give him? He said, I got a whole platter of chocolate chip cookies. I said, we said, okay, that sounds good. We want those cookies. He said, no, no, let's give them away. So, you know, we're walking. We're just smelling those chocolate chip cookies. They seemed so fresh. And so we get to the neighbor, and he rings the doorbell, and he says, hey, you know, they open the door. He says, Pastor Billy Joe here. We got Paul and John. We just wanted to bless you with some chocolate chip cookies. I kid you not, the neighbor was confused. She goes, I just dropped those off at your house just a couple hours ago. <laughs> my dad turned red. He did not know that my mom had received the cookies. We, this happened all the time where we accidentally gave gifts back to people who gave us the gift. <laughs> I'll never forget sending a tie. I had a, someone gave me a tie, and I sent it to another pastor thinking I'm going to bless this pastor. It was the pastor who gave me the tie. But anyways, in that moment, I was laughing, but I was thinking, you know, we, we've always, as a family, we've always tried to practice generosity, <laughs> even to a default. But generosity, generosity, 
it's, it's giving more than you take. Give 60, take 40. It's living with this mindset of who can I help? Who can I bless? It's killing the competitive spirit. By the way, a competitive spirit will rob you of who God wants you to add value to. So when you always got to be better than your neighbors, better than the Joneses, better than someone else, you get robbed of the generous spirit. Maxwell, he said this. He said, I've decided that I'm, I'm no longer going to live with this mindset that once I die, I'll leave this massive inheritance for my kids and for people from my book sales and stuff. He said, I've decided to do my giving while I'm living so that I'm knowing where it's going. I'm doing my, li- my giving while I'm living so I'm knowing where it's going. He said, I just recently started giving crazy amounts away. He said, like crazy. Like my wife is like, how are we going to live? He said, God's got it. He said, I'm just like emptying the accounts out, just helping kids and grandkids, churches here in Florida, charities, nonprofits. Just, he said, I want to be the most generous person in the room. I never want to be outgiven because with God, you can never outgive God. He just shows up. He said, here's what's crazy is it, God's getting ridiculous. He said, I'm seeing blessings left and right. The book sales, what God is doing for our company, for equip, for the leaders that God just keeps on bringing it in. When you give to God, your world only gets more blessed. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to give to God, to practice this generosity. You don't have to if you don't want to, but if you came this morning ready to give to God, we're going to pass the envelopes down the road. Right out of this, we're going to go into a time of prayer and surrender. But if you would like to practice one of these four rules today, one of these four questions today, and this is Ashley and I, we've recently gotten creative with our generosity. I've gotten the chance to preach out of town a few times, and when I've done that, they've blessed me. And I always set aside a tithe that I give to God. But then Ashley and I started praying, who could we bless with some of these extra gifts that have been given to us? So we've just been recently blessing random people, and it's so awesome to see them just light up with, whoa, 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 I don't deserve this. But, but there's something exciting when you start giving with no strings attached, when you just start giving with generosity, when you start giving and you erase the who owes me line, who owes me, who needs to cash at me now? No, 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 just bless them. Just pay for their meal. Just pay for their coffee. Just do something kind. Watch what God will do when you start living from a generous spirit. Are you grounded? Are you growing? Are you grateful? Are you generous? Did you receive that message today? David said in Psalm 37, verse 25, I've been young and I am now old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. As you're filling out your envelope today or you're texting to give, there should be a text to give thing up there. You can do it online. We're giving towards lives that are being changed. Yesterday, we had six people get healed on the streets of Tulsa, Oklahoma, as our church went out and laid hands on the sick, praying for them to be healed. We had people getting saved on the streets, saved in the Salvation Army, saved at the day center. We had people being served and helped. This last week, we had boys and girls being mentored after school at the Tulsa Dream Center as our after-school program was going out. We had our single-parent pastor who's on our staff taking care of people's cars yesterday, blessing people, fixing their cars with a, a car repair clinic. In fact, one of our pastors on our staff, she was, she's a single parent mom. She shared her testimony Wednesday night. She said, when my husband died, my kids were seven, nine, and 14. I thought I would never make it. Got on my car, decided I was going to drive away. They didn't need me. And she shared her testimony, how God called her to come back and raise those kids. Now they're all grown up. They come, come into church here. Such a powerful testimony. Lives are being changed every week here that you never know about. When we give to God, God multiplies that dollar to impact souls for his kingdom. Lord, I just pray right now for every tithe, every offering, let it go and grow. You know the needs in this room. So I just pray for your blessing today. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, that you would bless their businesses, bless their dreams, bless, God, the ideas in their heart, bless their leadership, their influence, their impact. I pray, God, for freedom in areas they've been believing for, miracles in areas they've been believing for. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you can step out to receive the offering. As they do, I want us to do something right now. We're going we're gonna to go into a time of surrender. And I just feel like there's some of us in the room today that we just need to surrender to God. We need to surrender our gifts. We need to surrender our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you're like me. You know there's some areas you need to repent of. Areas that you're saying, God, I want to become a better leader. 
I want to grow in this area. Lord, I don't want to be stale in this area. God, I want to become who you've made me to be. I want to be the best version of me that you've called me to be. I want to steward my gifts better. I want to maximize my time better. Some of you are here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right with God. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe it's your first time to do it. Maybe, maybe you did it a long time ago, but you walked away and today you're recommitting your life to Christ. I'm going to ask us all to stand to our feet across this room. And as we do, if you would just, just close your eyes and bow your heads and, and I want you to just do a heart inventory, a heart check right now. If you're here today and you say, there's some things that aren't right. There's some things that I want to get right. There's some areas that I want to grow in, in my life, in my heart. There's some areas I need to surrender to God. His grace is here. His love is here. His empowerment is here. His victory is here for you. If that's you, just raise your hand all over this room. Yeah, God's speaking to you. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Anyone else across this room? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes. Many over here, anyone in the back, you're saying, man, there's some areas that I just need to surrender. Things aren't right, and I want to get things right. I want to surrender to Christ. I need to, I need to let God really start leading my life in a better direction. I need to start making some better choices when no one's watching. When I'm by myself, I need to be the leader that I would want my kids to follow. I, I want to be the man, the woman that's after God's own heart. If you raised your hand or you needed to raise your hand, would you just leave your seat? Come and join me at this altar. Let's cheer on brave men, brave women. Couples, husbands, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, you're here today and you're saying, man, I need to, I need to get down to that altar because things need to change in my life. I need to surrender to God. I need to let God lead me to be a better leader of myself. I need to start choosing better choices in my life. I need to start walking in the character, the integrity he's called me to walk in. I need to start putting God first in my life. Maybe you're standing out there and you say, Paul, I, I just need prayer. I feel stuck. I can relate to you. Maybe you're here today and you just feel stuck in a season and you don't know how to get past it. You don't know how to grow through it. The truth is you're not stuck and God has not left you. He's still with you. He's still for you. He's not finished with you yet. Your story's not over. Your best days are still in front of you. Come and join us at this altar. And for all of us who are believers, would you just stretch your hands out? Some, someone here at the altar tonight, today, is being touched right now. Their life is being healed. Their marriage is being healed. They're getting a fresh wind. They're erasing the finish line. They're saying, God, I want you to use me for your glory. God, I'm choosing to surrender to you. God, I need you. Lord, I, I want your presence to lead me. Lord, I want to live with gratitude. I want to be grounded in your word. God, I want to be grateful. I want to be generous. I want to honor you. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I surrender to you. Have your way in my life. I repent of sin, and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your salvation. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Be my Lord and Savior. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, today's a new day. Victory is in the house.